Welcome to Locked On NFL, your number one daily podcast on the National Football League on the number one daily sports podcast network. I'm Brian Peacock alongside Matt Williamson. It's a Twitter Thursday, so this episode is going to be all about, well, mostly all about your questions. A quick bit of news that we're learning today is that the Hall of Fame game, Matt, has been canceled. So no Steelers Cowboys. It's not surprising, and it's definitely the right move, and I think this is uh, one of the least shocking developments so far about the, the 2020 season. Uh, until they start canceling training camp or regular season games, I'm not uh, too worried about the Hall of Fame game, even though it does affect you a little more. It, it does affect me because the Steelers are set to play in it, which meant that my summer and vacations, although they're up in the air too, as usual with everyone else, was going to get cut short by a week because the Cowboys and Steelers report to camp a week earlier than everybody else because of the Hall of Fame game. And it's Canton's convenient for me. It's only like an hour and 45 minutes up the road. And and it's a very cool place. I used to spend quite a bit of time there when I was University of Akron. We would do our official visits there. We would have like the whole Hall of Fame just for the kids and their parents. So very cool. I love going up. I've taken my son up. Um, But the Steelers and the Cowboys both have a, a fair amount of guys going in this year. They're big name teams, and it would have been a cool event. I would have enjoyed going. I'm so I'm sure I would have sat down with Paul Amalu at some time, you know, things like that. But all in all, it seems like the obvious move, and it sounds like inductions have been, you know, put on hold for now. And it looks like this is from Ian Rappaport of NFL Network, and obviously those two teams don't need to start camp a week early. Uh, and it right. sounds like multiple clubs according to Ian Rappaport, are going to be reporting to camp July 28th. So that looks like it's probably the loose date for this thing to get going for training camp. So we still have a little over a month to figure out uh, everything that needs to happen before training camp can open late in July, and no teams need to report early, which is good news. Uh, And then from USA Today, there is a a meeting of some owners to try to figure out some preparations for the the 2020 season. Those owners meeting today... And uh, there's a, a ton of things that they're going to discuss. And um, highly optimistic, though, apparently, that the league is going to have a regular season as scheduled. So all good yeah, news I hope there. For tomorrow's and, show, we hit, you yeah. know, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Oh, I no. hope we, for tomorrow's show, have a lot of good news. You know, everyone's right. get checking in on the 28th, and this is the way it's going to be. And maybe, maybe we'll have some answers tomorrow. We should have at least some information about those meetings and how they went. So looking forward to that, and hopefully it is all good news. And I think as far as the, the league goes, their their response is going to be, don't change anything unless it's dire and we really have to. So if they do that. start to erase things like training camp and regular season, that's how you know that we're in trouble, I think. Yeah, I think that's a good way of looking at it. Is, um, let's proceed with caution, but uh, unless we have some huge red flag pop up tomorrow or tragic news. I think that we'll take that as all systems go to some degree. A couple of really quick reports I saw about the Jamal Adams stuff. I don't know whether or not to take these super serious. Uh, Tony Pauline, who's an NFL draft insider had a report today that said uh, the, the Jamal Adams to Dallas Cowboys rumors have some legs and that the, the Jets would be asking for Lyle Collins. I would assume this thing would all hmm. revolve around draft picks. I mean, that's usually what happens. There's not really uh, usually player for player type trades in this scenario. You would you'd be the Jets would be asking for a first and Lyle Collins and and maybe more. You know, the, like the Jets should ask for a ton in this scenario. So I I don't know how much weight to put on a player for player. 
idea here. And then uh, a local guy that I've had on Locked On 49ers before, Grant Cohn, who now writes for Sports Illustrated. He used to write for the Santa Rosa Press Democrat local paper covering the team. Uh, He said that he's hearing that there's some serious smoke when it comes to the 49ers interest in Jamal Adams, which is a team I did not think would be interested because of, um, and we've gone over that before, but just, you know, the cost and the cost in trade and paying positions like tight end and safety that much money. Uh, So interesting. And here's the thing. This is the reason why I'm skeptical of those reports about Jamal Adams. If the Jets granted Jamal Adams agent the opportunity to speak with teams, we would hear about that. Like I, I think anything that happens that the agent of Jamal Adams knows we will know like within a half hour, you know, that's the vibe I get. So at, at, maybe the jets have talked to some teams and are not at the point where they're allowing those teams to talk with Jamal Adams agent, because I'm sure that's got to be a factor here because no team is going to trade for Jamal Adams and not know if he's going to start holding out and, and be a squeaky wheel immediately and wanting a new contract. So if we don't hear anything from the agent who's going to want to up his value by spreading that information to let other teams know that teams are talking trade, I'm a little bit skeptical about those rumors. Yeah, I hear you. And, um, you know, I think both of us, especially you, kind of didn't think the Niners would be, you know, that it's it's a fit, you know, in terms of just giving up stuff. And certainly it would help them win now. Yeah, the player fit and, is there, but not, yeah. the, not the cost. Right, exactly, exactly. Sorry. Yeah, and um, of all the teams out there that play some version of the old school Seattle cover three, you know, single high safety, Cam Chancellor type safety routine, I would say the Niners are probably the purest of them all at this point in terms of that being their base which fits Adams really well as the cam chancellor. You know, you don't want him being the Earl Thomas. You want him being the in the box guy and he excels there. So he fits that scheme extremely well. So I, I kind of see that part of it. Sure. I mean, yeah, he's a great player. Um, as for the Cowboys, I think they would have genuine interest. They've been, there's been a lot of smoke and fire or smoke around that combination for a long time, but you just lost Frederick. You're starting center. Collins is a very good right tackle and young and in his prime. I don't know that Dallas could recover from losing both those starting linemen if that would be incorporated in the deal. There is more reports that are starting to come out too about why Jamal Adams wants to be traded. And it sounds like it's a lot less about contract and more about maybe he does not like the coaching staff, Adam Gase. Mm -hmm. And uh, so there's, and the fact that maybe they listened to some trades last year before the deadline for him. And so maybe he just feels slighted by the organization because the the idea now is that he could, that those teams that he listed, he'll go there and play out one year, maybe his, his option year too, which is, which tells you something. If he's willing to go to a team without a new deal for not only one year, but through the, the 2021 option year before he gets to unrestricted free agency, but not with the Jets. He needs a deal now, today. Uh, there's there's something that doesn't add up there. So yeah. um, th- it may not be all about contract for him. One other note here. This one, uh, a statistic I saw from Brett Coleman on Twitter that I thought was interesting about Jamal Adams. He says, the Jets defense as a unit led the NFL by a lot in total tackles for loss against the run. 80 tackles for loss. That is a 19.2 percentage. So 19.2% of runs against the Jets defense went for a loss. But when Jamal Adams was lined up near the line of scrimmage in a linebacker-type role, their tackle for loss 
rate jumped to 30%. So a third of carries went backwards when Jamal Adams was near the line of scrimmage. And you can see that when you watch. It's one of the special, special things that the Jamal Adams possesses is knowing where the ball is going a lot of times moving before the snap to exactly where the ball is going and making plays behind the line of scrimmage and he can run and chase because he's athletic and a really good tackler so um, some special ability there and two according to pff only two safeties since 2018 have graded in uh graded in the 90 the elite level 90 overall in both run and coverage and those safeties are jamal adams and derwin james well Wow, some great nuggets there for sure. Yeah. And it does show up. I mean, he is obviously a student of the game, puts in the work on the tape study, great anticipation. I don't like the term instincts, but I mean, it, it, that that's yeah. basically what you're seeing there. No false steps, explosive on contact and in closing. And But I do think he needs to be used properly. Again, I don't think he's Earl Thomas, and I, I'm sure P- PFF has good coverage grades on him, but he's much better near the line of scrimmage, a superb blitzer, pass rusher, superb run defender. I, I would trust him to guard Lev Bell, Alvin Kamara, you know, good receiving backs pretty well, as well as most guys can, as well as tight ends. So he has a lot of value. I mean, I, there's no question about it. And to your point, I'm with you. I mean, the whole thing smelled of getting out of New York more than, boy, I need a ton of money. I mean, you come in asking for $20 million, nobody's going to give you $20 million. I botched. Yeah, twenty million is too much. I mean, fifteen million already makes you the highest paid safety in the league. So twenty million just is telling me you're you're being a you're right. You're being, being a problem. problem. Yeah, you're you're right, trying yeah. to be a problem. Um, I got that stat wrong. I, I want to get it correct here. This is okay. Uh, Derwin James and Jamal Adams, only two safeties since twenty eighteen to have top ten grades in run defense, pass coverage, and rushing the passer per pro football. Oh wow. Focus. Okay, yeah. that adds up. Yeah, six and a half sacks last year from Jamal Adams and PFF. I saw a stat where basically, you know, he didn't have enough pass rushing attempts even, but he still had six and a half sacks. It's not even that he's a blitzer either that you would expect from the safety position. He has a legitimate pass rush skills. Like if he rushed the passer as a stand up outside linebacker full time, he would be among the league leaders in pass rushing. So he's a unique player. Like he's exactly what I think the Arizona Cardinals hope they drafted in Isaiah Simmons, basically. Yeah, and I like your point. I say this a lot, too, that there's a difference, especially for second and third level players, between being a good blitzer and a good pass rusher. Like, a lot of blitz is, when it gets home, really the defense coordinator is the one that gets should, should get the gold star. You know, I mean, he designed it perfectly. This guy came free, analyzed the protection, got the protection he wanted, and found the hole in it, and here comes a safety flying up the middle untouched. You know, those type of things. Or... You get a big linebacker one on one on a running back, and you get that you get to exploit that mismatch. But like you said with Adams, he could line up as a three four outside linebacker t- guy, rush the passer every time, put it up on the scoreboard. He's rushing the passer every time, and has the array of moves and pass rushing skills and tactics to be successful just doing that. And when you talk about the way the league is going and being able to cover a tight end and a running back and a wide receiver and play the run and potentially play safety, play deep, play mm-hmm. at the line of scrimmage, uh, it's important to have players like that. So absolutely a a very current style of player and super valuable. And this whole situation is going to be very interesting to see if he goes somewhere else. But I don't want to spend that much more time on Jamal Adams. We've we've really spilled a lot of words on Jamal Adams this week. So let's move on to those listener questions. What do you think? 
I like it. Let's do it. Oh, Matt, and I've got to say, I really enjoyed going down the Google rabbit hole of searching for the turd. The 1979 Chevette, nice. seeing photos of, of your old vehicle. That was awesome. Yeah, uh, and I can see why they called it the turd. That is a, that is an accurate nickname for that car, man. Uh, I love it. around, yeah. Yeah, and uh, went to rockauto.com, and lo and behold, they do have parts for a 1979 Chevette. They had a ton of parts. Like I was blown away by how many parts were at rockauto.com for my old 1972 Ford Ranchero. And of course, my Mazda CX-5 that I drive now, tons of parts there, whatever you need, engine parts motor oil uh if you need our our colleague did you hear this story matt our colleague from locked on saints ross jackson his tailgate was stolen off of his truck he went to rockauto.com and got himself a new tailgate for his truck who steals a tailgate by the way come on i say that's hard to do (laughs) Uh, but it's It's really easy to navigate this site they've been around family owned for 20 years rockauto.com all the parts your car or truck could ever need let them know that locked on sent you in the who sent you box at rockauto.com you will be glad we sent you there reliably low prices all the parts your car or truck could ever need matt i always try to find questions that we can answer very quickly and i think i really truly found one this time Uh, this is from dave he says which premier league teams do you both support I'm going to let you start, Matt, and, <laughs> and drop some Premier League knowledge. Uh, let me start that question by, or is that soccer? <laughs> See, I thought I this might be a soccer, shorter one. Right? Um, I think it's very clear to me right now that neither Matt nor I have a favorite Premier League team. It is a soccer league. I do know that. Uh, I'm sure I've heard of some of these teams, but I would not even probably be able to confidently name what a Premier League team would be like I think uh Man like U Manchester United yeah Man U and Arsenal I think would maybe okay. be the ones that I can think of off the top of my head and and I hope that's the right league we're even talking about right now right right well which leaves us open to hey we don't have any fandom now we'll adopt one yeah let us know Dave or anybody else right. at BD Peacock at Williamson NFL what team should we be rooting for because I don't want to just pick a team willy-nilly I want to have a good reason to root for one of these squads Right. If you were a Niners fan, Dave's our, our our listener, right? Dave, if you're a Niners fan, what team should you be in in the in Premier League? Yeah, yeah. Captain? What if, teams? If I'm a Steelers fan, which team would I be leaning towards? What what crossover is there for someone who's a 49ers <laughs> right. fan, a Steelers fan? Uh, I I do, and the only reason I know those a lot teams, of trophies between those two teams. Yeah, that's true, and uh, and I think Arsenal. I don't know why Arsenal is one that really sticks in my head. It must be one that I picked when I played FIFA, the video game, like 10 years okay. ago. I haven't played that in so long. Really fun video game. And it's probably 90% of my soccer knowledge came from either that or being like six years old in, in the first sport I ever played was soccer, where you're just running around chasing the ball. So I didn't learn much there. Uh, and I think FIFA is where most of my soccer knowledge comes from. Yeah, I played for like two years too, probably up to about age eight, you know, kind of like you implied. Mm-hmm. And I, though very little, obviously, we might even be talking about the wrong league, but I do respect it. I don't quite understand though, when's the game end? It's not like football where there's 60 minutes and there's a clock up there and it ends. Does the guy hold it in his pocket? I mean, like I, the, the, yeah. the length of the game, I don't understand. It's timed, but then when there's stoppage time, it gets added, and nobody ever knows exactly what right, that time right. is. And then all of a sudden, at the end of the game, the, they'll just blow the whistle and be like, yep, that was it. That was the end of the time. It's 
It's an like, odd how sport. How do you run a because, two minute drill if you don't know when it's two minutes? Yeah, and it's it's not as specialized. I'm sure soccer's getting look, we shouldn't even be talking about soccer right now because no, I'm no, ignorant obviously. to it. But um it's it's not as special specialized. And I think that's one of the things I'm, I remember a bunch of rugby fans watching football games when Jared Hayne came over and was playing running back for the 49ers in the preseason. And they they were blown away by the structure because rugby is similarly to soccer. It's like, okay, go. It's open. You're, you're playing for wow. a long time, no stoppages. And they were like, wow, this is boring because they keep stopping and starting the play over every single down. And they liked the free form of a sport like rugby and soccer. So very, very different. And that's why you play it when you're a kid. That's why my son will probably play soccer first because it's easy. It's a ball. You go kick it. And yeah, you can chase it around for a too. while. Uh, and it's, yeah, and it's definitely one of the sports more fun to play than to watch for me. Golf is similar in that way. Yeah, I have respect to watch both, but no so little. I guess the older I get, the more I respect watching those two, but I don't ever put them on. It is interesting that American sports stop more than any other, like baseball, baseball a lot wow. of stop time, all the substitutions and timeouts in football. Basketball. Basketball is a little more free flowing, definitely than than football and baseball. But even basketball and hockey have basically, hey, it's a commercial time stop. You know, yeah, yeah, that's true. Commercial timeouts, even when you don't have a reason to have a timeout. (laughs) Right, right, right. We're just going to commercial for money, then everybody can get a breather. Well, that wasn't exact as short of an answer as I thought it was going to be. I thought the answer was just going to be no, but hey. (laughs) Well, the answer is no. (laughs) The answer is definitely no. We do not have a favorite team there. Uh, JDS wants to know, do you have any early thoughts on the 2021 quarterback class? A little. I mean, like everyone else, I've seen a fair amount of Justin Fields from Ohio State and, of course, Trevor Lawrence from Clemson. Um, This time of year and maybe more this year than ever, I've been trying to read, you know, scouting reports from people I trust just to get, you know, a little bit fresher with these names. Um, It seems like to me that Lawrence is a maybe Andrew Luck transcendent type guy, you know, super young still, despite all the success he's had. I mean, has all the tools in the, in the tool chest and tool chest and fields is very impressive too. I mean, it sounds like many years, he would be the odds on favor to go first overall where this year that's going to be an uphill climb for him, but you know, remarkably productive as these Ohio state quarterbacks is big physical guy. But the guy that's got my attention is North Dakota state's Trey Lance. I mean, he didn't throw a pick last year. And the more I watch and study him, I think he's very much in that top five, top 10 conversation. Cause we know how this quarterback things work. I mean, you know, Carson Wentz this, t- this time of his career was nowhere on near on the radar, and this guy is, and maybe Wentz helped that. But I think he's going to be a household name, and then you know maybe have three really early picks from what I'm gathering. Wentz, Jared Goff, Joe Burrow this year, they yeah, weren't right. players that were some of them not on the radar at all really at this point, and some of them slow. I, I remember Jared Goff was still getting mocked in the second round in February. Before hmm. the, you know, January, February, before the, uh, before the 2018, was it 18? 17. 2018 draft, right? No, 2016 yeah, right. draft. 2016, right. 16. I mean, even Baker Mayfield wasn't considered right. the first overall pick this time of year. Yeah, so uh, things really ramp up for guys. And then it'll be interesting to watch with Trevor Lawrence is everyone's the golden boy a year out from the draft. But once that microscope gets put on him and holes start getting poked into him, 
I wonder if he'll come out of the other side. Still, that guy there was like, okay, overwhelmingly number one overall pick. Right. That's a great point. And I've talked about that a lot over the years, too. Like, people will say that about Matt Leinert. I mean, remember how good those USC teams were? Boy, yeah. if Leinert were to come out early, he would have easily been the first round, pick, first overall pick. Eh, I mean, it's easy to watch him from afar and say that. But when you really come down to, am I going to take this guy or this awesome defensive end or the next quarterback on the list, who's it going to be? I mean, I'm pretty confident that Lawrence is going to be a very, very high pick and probably first overall. And he would have to do an awful lot of bad stuff between now and then not to be basically. I mean, he's got a lot of hay in the barn, so to speak. But you're right. I mean, it's different when the microscope is on. I'm excited to watch Trey Lance. 28 touchdowns, yeah. zero interceptions. That, zero. That's not something you see. Right, right. And it sounds like he's not just a game manager type guy. I mean, he doesn't have a ton of attempts, but highly accurate. There's a lot of things I've read about him that makes me excited about Trey Lance. All right, let's keep it going. Locked on NFL Twitter Thursday. A lot more great questions coming up. Maybe Matt and I can go a little bit rapid fire here. We'll see. Ooh. I doubt it. Probably not. <laughs> this question, Matt, from Screaming A. Smith on Twitter. Is there any situation where paying running backs is worth it, or is it just better business to draft a rookie running back, let them play out their rookie contract, let them hit free agency, and draft another? My quick answer is... I'm not in the camp that drafting running backs early is terrible business. And I'm actually in the camp of, I don't mind using a first round pick on a running back, getting five years, including their option, franchising them. That's six years of running back play, maybe elite running back play. Boom. I pretty much got that guy's whole career or even a second or third round pick on a, on still a top running back prospect. We saw really good ones on day two, these last couple of years, and then, you know, get four years out of that guy, maybe franchise him if he's worth it and get five years and then rinse repeat. So I don't think that's crazy talk. But I mean, is there any situation where paying a running back is worth it? I think we're about to find out. And it all stems around the receiving game. You know, the McCaffrey, Kamara, you know, dual threat, what Lev Bell was preaching for and didn't really get it. Hey, I'm your second best receiver and best running back. You know, what's Saquon going to be worth? I mean, I don't know that these guys are going to give you eight years of production, but I do think that we are at a period where we're about to learn the value of a difference-making receiver. Not a good receiver, a difference-making receiver, a game-changer. Yeah, and we've seen the Panthers answer. They paid Christian McCaffrey, and if he wasn't so valuable in the passing game, I think that would make a lot less sense. I still yeah. thought the smart move for the Panthers in a rebuild would be to trade a running back. In going into his prime rather than waste his prime years on a rebuild, even though I do like the direction things are going suddenly um, with the Panthers and like their draft and building around the defensive line to go with them. So maybe they're cheap everywhere while they're expensive at running back and then they'll figure that out later. But when teams were paying running backs, they were not paying tight ends and safeties and guards that much right, money right. and everybody wants 20 million dollars per year at every position group now so just looking at the 2017 draft alone christian mccaffrey is the only one in the first round to get that new deal 17 million per year at running back which is a huge money for a running back jamal adams wants somewhere between 15 and 20 million dollars depending on who you listen to george kittle wants to blow up the tight end market 2017 draft pick and get somewhere between i don't know over 16 million dollars per year you can't pay a running back $17 million and a tight end $17 million and a seven, and a safety $17 million and then still pay 
a defensive end and an offensive tackle and a quarterback. Like if you look at, say, a team who just signed big money defensive tackle, uh, the the Colts. The Colts yeah. are paying DeForest Buckner over $20 million per year. They're paying their quarterback room a ton of money. That's 25% of their salary cap in, in two positions, in two players, not even the entire position groups. So how can you do that at every position? You have to save money somewhere if you're going to be paying all these other positions so much. And I just think running back is trending into the position where you can't pay that much money unless they're special, special. You always have to cut corners somewhere, you know, and a lot of it just comes down to your scheme. It's team specific. It's philosophically specific, but you're right. When in doubt, running backs as good as any spot, not to spend a big chunk. I hear you there, but again, to my theory of if I take one the second round every five years or every four years, so they overlap for a year, it's not so bad. You know, I mean, the thing about the whole running back argument is if you ask a coach in the third quarter in November in Chicago and the wind swirling, hey, how important is that really good running back you have there? He's going to say, damn important because I'm giving the ball every time because that's all I got right now. You know what I mean? Like, right. it's it's different on game day than sitting here bean counting with your abacus telling me the running backs don't matter. And it depends on scheme and how your team's built. Yep. But, you know, for me, uh, it's running backs way, way down the list. And I would probably pay a tight end and a safety and all mm-hmm. five offensive linemen before I'd pay running back. And I just think that's the way the league is going, unfortunately, for running backs. And it's just the most easily replaceable position in most cases. Some yeah, I was are- recently told, and I don't think I mentioned, I thought I mentioned this yesterday, I'm not sure, that the Titans believe they're not in, in that market of, boy, running backs are, are dispensable. They're going to probably extend Derrick Henry, I was told, and just realize mm. he's different. They think he's different than everyone else, and mm. I don't think that's a good move. I mean, his style of play, I understand he's freaky and he's super important to them, but that would scare me. And he's not that monster in the passing game either. Right, right. He's zero in the passing game, basically. Good question from Zachary here. Which of the four teams that have never been to a Super Bowl, Cleveland, Jacksonville, Detroit, Houston, will get to a Super Bowl first? Hmm. Cleveland, Houston, Jacksonville. Detroit. Detroit. Wow. None are knocking on the door. How about, I mean, I think the obvious one to throw out is Jacksonville, but what if they stink the joint up, get Trevor Lawrence, and he's a Hall of Famer? You know what I mean? Like, right. And the other three toil in, in mediocrity for the next right. few years, and all of a sudden they've got the Golden Boy quarterback, and they're this, you know, they're the... Three the, years from now. The London you know Jaguars. I mean? Right, the, the werewolves of London. <laughs> um <laughs> But I would lean, I mean, I would bet on Deshaun Watson in that conversation. I mean, I think Stafford is an elite quarterback, but probably won't ever take the Lions to a Super Bowl, you know, considering how they're structured and where that team is right now. I would bet on Watson in terms of just quarterbacks alone. Like, do you think yeah. if I told you in the end, will Deshaun Watson ever play in a Super Bowl? Would you say yes or no? I would say yes. And so that I, I'm going to lean toward that. And I could see with Baker Mayfield, there's a lot of talent in Cleveland. If it, it was somebody that had to do it in the next year or two, I'd probably guess Houston, then Cleveland, then Detroit, then Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's crazy for Cleveland, everything to fall into place this year or next, and maybe they get in. Detroit is tough because I love Matthew Stafford. I just don't know. I just feel like they're they're not going to be that team and then you have a new then you're gonna have to make a change at quarterback eventually 
and he and Stafford's going to be playing somewhere else, and then you make a change again. I just think there's more churning to be done in Detroit mm-hmm. before they finally figure it out. That's just the vibe I get from Detroit. Unfortunately, even though I'd like to say Detroit is close to being one of those teams that that surprises everybody and, and makes a run, maybe even this year. Yeah, I'm not even sure who the best team of the four is this year. I know the Jags are last. I kind of have some hope for the Browns. You know, the Houston Texans have been the most, um, you know, respectable, the, the winningest organization of those four by far. But I'm not sure they're any better than they were a year ago. Um, I don't know. I mean, that's a tough question. I mean, I guess we could take it a step further, maybe talk about it tomorrow. What team that's never won a Super Bowl would win it? You know, I mean, teams like the Bills or, you know, teams that, that was, have gone. That yeah, have that was, uh, there's 12 teams. That was the second part of Zachary's question. So maybe oh, we'll get to part two it? of his question in a, in a in an overflow of our Twitter Thursday on Friday. So that, that's probably okay. a good one to bookmark for tomorrow. Uh, real quick, A-Dub, to what should we attribute the year two wide receiver slump? Coverage adjustments, uh, double teams, number one corners, or just an issue of expanded playbook? If the answer is coverage adjustment, are wide receiver two slot guys less susceptible to regress in year two? Is there a year two regression? I mean, there's, I mean is that common knowledge? I don't know if it's it's. I think it happens a lot because the guy flashes on the screen and then doesn't come back. I, I think there's a little bit of just year to year variance is is high anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, if there was a wide receiver year two slump, and it's definitely happened, no, it's happened. I would say it's because yeah, more. Well, A, it's defensive coordinators are smart, and the guys on the other side of the ball are talented. So, yeah, if you're going to start seeing the number one corner, if they're going to start rolling coverage your way, they're just paying attention to you. They're going to watch how you release from the line of scrimmage. They're going to um, find there's ways. There's a book on you, for Yes, sure. there's a book on you. They're going to find ways to beat you in the National mm-hmm. Football League. So one of the biggest things for anybody, whether you are a coach or a player or a quarterback or a wide receiver, is adjusting to the adjustments. And sometimes that can be very difficult for wide receivers. It's the reason Jerry Rice played until he was 40 and Randy Moss, his career ended when he was 32. Randy Moss, once he was not just physically dominating you, he wasn't as much of a technician as Jerry Rice was. Jerry Rice could still get open at 40 and make catches. And he that was, you know, that was his special ability was adjusting to the adjustments and running routes as good as anybody who's who's ever done it. Uh, so that's sort of the idea to me is can you adjust to the adjustments because they're coming? Yeah, you said a lot of good stuff there. And I, I do think there's certainly something to, you know, a pitcher's second time through the American International right. League, you realize, boy, his curveball's really hittable or he sets up this pitch or, you know what I mean? And there's probably a lot of truth to that, to the wide receiver position and all positions, especially quarterback. With the biggest hurdle that they all have is, getting off press coverage at the NFL level. You know, I mean, everything's so timing and based and these corners are so good that a lot of guys stumble early in their career with that specific thing, or they have a tell in their route. You know, you mentioned Rice, that all his routes look the same. You know, that goes a really long way, makes you really difficult to defend. We've talked about this before. And, you know, you, you go look at the 40 times and things like that. They're not as important at wide receiver as you would think. You know, Michael Thomas runs a four, five, six. So does Devontae Adams. You know, so does Hopkins. You know, it, it, it's, it's not a size speed position like you would think. 
And then I also think there's some things like, like AJ Brown's a good example. Like I think all of us would take AJ Brown from last year's class as the one guy. If you had to take one guy from that class, you'd take AJ Brown. I would. I would too. Yeah. He was the most impressive rookie wide receiver. Yeah. Yeah. But his rookie year, probably for the first six, seven, eight, nine weeks of the season, teams looked at Corey Davis. Like he was the number one, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, there's another guy here. We know about him. Not that Davis is a superstar, but we're going to put our number one corner on Corey Davis, or we're going to roll coverage his directions a little way. So it becomes, or Juju last year, not the best example because Ben got hurt, but it's difficult when AB's not there. You know what I mean? Like, okay, when people know you're good, now I got to start beating doubles and, you know, coverage is rolled my way. Injury? Is a big one. Debo Samuel just broke his foot going into his second mm-hmm. year. You know, he could be better this year and still have less than 800 yards receiving if he misses four games or something like that. So there's so much. Your quarterback could get hurt. Uh, you could have new coaching staff. There's just so much that can happen year to year variance in the NFL. Yeah, there's no question about it. I mean, it's hard stringing two good years together unless you're a superstar, period. All right. There's, there's a lot I want to get to. I think we should hit some overflow questions on tomorrow's show, Matt. Thank you to everybody that gets involved in these Twitter Thursday episodes. Apologies if we didn't hit your question. Maybe we will get to it tomorrow. Any other news going on around the league as well? What did the owners come up with in their meetings today? We'll cover all of that tomorrow right here. Locked on NFL.